Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hello, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. Um, you can get us, get me most on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. And I'm also a co presenter on Back of the Net, which is a local community football show, which you can hear um, online or if you're in the local area. You can get us on Twitter at underscore Back of Net underscore. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm editor of Hull City social media group Tiger Link. Uh, you can see us at www.tigerlink.co.uk and we're on Twitter and Facebook at HCAFC Tigerlink. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Of course, up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs recently. We'll start off with you, Jim. Lester do emerge victorious against Swansea in a deluge. Um, maybe not the best end to the match, but pretty exciting at the beginning. Yeah, it was until the last 10 minutes. I think it was um, pretty comprehensive, the victory, or it certainly looked like it was going to be. Um, it always started quite well. We, we've we got a recent kind of, not hex over Swansea, but we seem to, there seems to be a team we can beat with a fair amount of regularity. Um, and it kind of started the same way last season finish, really. We had plenty of possession, um, created quite a few chances, and then there was one just really good move. Daniel Amate won the ball back just inside the Leicester half. <clears throat> he got knocked down and there was a long ball over the top. And Jamie Vardy did his custom uh, trick of smashing it in the back of the net, which was nice to see. It was a little bit wild, but it went off the inside of the post. There was a few of us kind of wondering whether it was going to creep the other side because it was the other end of the ground to us. But yeah, so that was a good start. And then we doubled the lead just after half time. Wes Morgan got a, a goal, which is a rarity for him. So he always enjoys scoring and he goes pretty uh, full on with the celebrations and stuff, which is nice. So at that point, we were kind of coasting. Then about five minutes after that, we got a penalty. Um, Shinji Okasaki was uh, was kind of pulled over, uh, tripped over in the box, should I say. And we thought, right, it's going to be a, a rout now. Um, up steps Riyad Mahrez and customary misses his penalty. Um, I think that's three of his last four he's missed now. So there's got to be a discussion, I think, about penalty duties and um, potentially putting Jamie Vardy in, in charge of that. I know Jamie took one off Riyad when he was on his um, his spell of 11 consecutive uh, goals. Uh, oh, sorry, 11 consecutive games scoring. Um, but that was to kind of elongate that record because I think we were already 3-0 up at that point. Um and so he took the penalty off from them. But normally it is Mahrez's first choice. And obviously he did score against Hull on the opening day. But 
that's one only one of his last four he's, he's scored now. And to be honest, there are going to be a lot tighter games than than Swansea. And you know, in a, in a, in a match which is a little bit more competitive, that could potentially cost you. Um, and then, yeah, the rain kind of really intensified, and we seemed to to lose a lot of intensity. I don't know what happened or or why that occurred. Maybe it was a drop off in fitness in terms of us still not being a hundred percent sharp. Um, we also seemed to kind of just yeah, we seemed to sit back on our laurels a little bit, to be honest. And it just seemed like we thought we were going to coast to an easy victory. Um, Leroy Fur pops up in the box um, and, and nods one in from a good ball in from the, the right hand side, and it's game on again. And then by then the the pitch is very much a you know it, it looks like a swimming pool. Um, players are slipping over, sliding over. You know, there's no amount of the right studs that will keep you upright in that condition when you're trying to play at full, a full pace. So the game got a lot more open. There was there was chances at both ends and um, Leicester really should have wrapped it up. We had some really good chances actually in the in the last five minutes through Mares and, and Ahmed Musa who came on as a relatively late sub. Um, but yeah, in the end, we just managed to hold on and get the first win of the season, which I think is maybe why we were so nervous in the sense that because it has been a couple of games since we won and we didn't have a good pre-season. We, you know, we played these big teams, but we largely got hammered. Um, and so that, that winning feeling wasn't there in the same way that it was you know, at the tail end or for most of last season. So it was, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a nervy experience and the, the elements certainly didn't help. Yeah, uh, I really am still hoping to see a still shot. I'm sure it was slightly painful. But of that Leroy Fairheader, the way the water like flew off his head as he was hitting that in... I'm sure that there's somebody with an angle on that that's amazing. But uh, keeping it with Leicester, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. And we've talked about it before, which is Musa versus Albrighton. And you've discussed that you think it's ba- basically what formation are you going to run out with? If it's a 4-3-3, then it should be Musa. If not, maybe you stick with Albrighton. I just think Musa's pace brings a, a different dynamic to this attack that already has pace with Mares and Vardy. Have you swayed your opinion there at all? I would probably have swayed my opinion if Musa would shoot. Um, he doesn't seem to want to shoot. I don't know whether it's because it's on his wrong foot and all the chances have come to him on the wrong side or whether he's just really nervous. But then he, he scored two great goals against Barcelona. I know it's only pre-season friendly, but it was still Barcelona. I mean, it's a pretty high calibre of opponent, even in pre-season. And it, he was so assertive that day, especially the first goal, where he ran you know, half the length of the pitch and slotted it past the goalkeeper. He's so direct, and he runs with the ball, but he just doesn't seem to want to pull the trigger at the vital moment. And I think that, at the moment, is what's keeping him out of a starting place, essentially. Um, because, I mean, the, the best compromise for me is him being the second striker alongside Jamie Vardy, and then you can leave all Brighton on the left wing. Um, I'd actually change the wings round because I think both of our wingers work, work better as, as inverted wingers. Um, but, you know, it's... It's difficult because he's obviously come into the club. I don't know exactly how match fit he is as well. Like he didn't, he didn't played relatively well against Hull, but again, he all he wanted to do was set up Jamie Vardy. And there's a couple of chances where you really got to be selfish in those situations in and around the box to just pull the trigger and take your chance and get your name on the score sheet because then that that will hold more sway in the manager's kind of thoughts, I think, than being unselfish and squaring at someone like Vardy who at that point put it over the bar. Mm. So. It's it's just getting that first goal, and I think once he gets one, he'll get rolling, and and then that's a really scary strike force. If you've got Mares and Albrighton bombing down the wings, and and you've got Ahmed Musa and Jamie Vardy through the centre, then you know that's a really powerful, pacey attack, and that will kind of be a match for anybody. Um, mm. 
I think Albrighton's still also got the, the brownie points stocked up a little bit from last season. Obviously, he's kind of an unsung hero in that team in the sense that a lot of the players around him have been lauded and capped by their, their countries and stuff. You know, Danny Drinkwater's just been called up into the England squad again uh, today. Um, unsurprising after his kind of assist yesterday. It's a perfectly flighted ball for, for Jamie Vardy. And if you're going to pick Vardy, you really need to pick Drinkwater because the two are just so in sync from, from the club game that, you know, Drinkwater deserves to be there on merit, but also what he can offer elsewhere. Um, so I think all Brighton's having some of those you know, brownie points used up at the moment. He's not been especially brilliant for us, um, and I think you know, he's got to maybe start producing a bit more um, if he wants to keep his pay- place in the team. Especially if we make some moves in the transfer market mm. in the next few days, um, he could, he could well find his place a little bit more under. Th- all right. Well, thank you for that. Now we're going to head on to Jay to talk about Crystal Palace. Obviously, some big signings of late. You get Benteke, Mandanda finally in the side. Townsend gets the 10 kit. It's not as important to Celtic needed to be noted. The performances, unfortunately, have not come despite the big signings. What are your thoughts on Palace at the moment? Where do I start? <laughs> um, it's, been, it's been a crazy build-up to the season. You know, we, we, we did, our, did our business early, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, which which was a very unlike Palace, but it still kind of left us, left us with a few gaps. And then obviously the Zaha story kind of came out in the press last week and, and Tottenham making a, a derisory, so Steve Parrish called it, £12 million offer for, for Zaha. Um, it's rumoured that he hasn't been happy at Palace because of the low wages he's supposedly on. And we've obviously signed these other players, which... I think you can kind of understand when you're signing big name players for big money, then you're going to have to pay them big wages as well. Obviously, has a knock-on effect to the players that are currently at the, at the squad, and obviously, Balassi made his uh, made his uh, thoughts clear on that. And Balassi's a player that's, I think, every season he's gone and, and asked for a pay rise and through his agent. So I think a lot of Palace fans kind of thought that there would be a time when Balassi would move on and I think we got the right deal for him, which we were talking about just before we came on, on the podcast. But going back to Zaha, well, we can't afford to lose Zaha as well. I mean, Balassi and Zaha were a big part of our side last season. Um, whatever happened in that second half of the season, it, it's the way we played and the way we set up. So we need Zaha to stay. Steve Parrish came out on the radio in the week and said that there's no way he's letting Zaha go in this transfer window. So he'll have to suck it up and... That's what he's, that's basically what he said on the radio. So, to be fair, you know, Parish. Well, hopefully, will you know he, he will keep to his word and, uh, and and we will keep Zaha at the club. But I think you know we saw yesterday when he came onto the pitch that he gives us a, new, a different dimension. He gives us something, you know, quite quite different. And I spoke to you, Kev, about it um, online when the news broke, and um, you know, it doesn't seem like Spurs fans are overly keen on Zaha going to Spurs anyway. Yeah. Um, but going on to the game, and obviously, you know, it's our third game of the season, Premier League game of the season, yesterday at home, it was a game, you know, two bottom clubs. I mean, it, this is very odd because the Premier League table is, I used to remember it wasn't kind of published until about five games in. But, uh, you know, two clubs at, you know, five, at Sellers Park yesterday playing each other without any points. So it was billed as a big game and it was billed as a big game because of Pardew, really. And a lot of people, a lot of media are saying that, you know, perhaps it's harsh on Pardew that he's being labelled as a manager that's in trouble but I think a lot of people are forgetting the torrid second half of last season that we had and as for Palace fans it kind of feeds into the season and for me Pardew had to get off to a good start and he hasn't you know we lost at home to West Brom in the first game of the season narrowly understandably it's a very narrow loss um, but you can only see what way it was going the longer we went through the game without scoring um, and in the second game against Spurs very similar scenario went through the game 
uh, rode our luck a little bit, came into the game, and we lost by another set piece. Very, very same scenario as the West Brom game. So we were going into the Bournemouth game. Really, well, with, with the sign of Benteke, you know, during the week as well, and, and the thought that he would start this game, it was difficult to know what kind of mindset Pardew was in and whether he was going to go with, um, you know, the, the, the players that were coming back from injury as well, the likes of Kabai. He actually started MacArthur, who's been a massive loss for us. He started yesterday as well. Mandanda in the Palace goal is, for me, I think is going to be the signing of the season. I think it was a, a minimal two million that we paid Marseille for. An absolute presence in, in, in goal. He really is. He played he made his debut against Blackpool in the cup in the week. And I know that's a League Two side, but you could just see he exudes confidence in, in that game. He he could he can use both feet. He's comfortable with the ball for a goalkeeper. Um he wants the ball. He comes out very quickly. He's always talking to his back line and that's something we've really missed. Hennessy doesn't do that. He doesn't come off his line very often. He's not very good with his feet as we've seen. Um did okay for Wales in the summer. But He's he's made more mistakes than he's actually uh, you know made saves. And Mandanda yesterday was was excellent. Um, a lot of people have questioned him for the first goal, for the Bournemouth goal, but I'm not quite sure what what else he could have done. Really, uh, very very hard shot went kind of went past him into the bottom corner. Uh, kind of blame the fallback a little bit more than that. But you know, 11 minutes in, Palace are one 0 down. I have to say the fans were excellent yesterday throughout the first half. It's probably the worst for first half I've seen us play for a long time. We started as a 4-4-2 formation to accommodate Benteke and Wickham up front. Clearly didn't work in that first 15, so Pardew changed it to have just a one-man up front as Benteke and put Wickham out wide, but again, Wickham's not a wide player. We had Zaha on the bench, um, but we kind of rode out that first half and it didn't really work. But we came out second half, completely different side. Um, we absolutely bombarded the, the Bournemouth goal for the duration of that 45 minutes. And it gives us a real you know, shot in the arm to get that equaliser, even though it was late on. And we had a corner straight after that equaliser as well, which we could have quite easily scored from um, to go, you know, to, to take the win 2-1. Which, you know, on the balance of play, the way the second half went, um, you couldn't have begrudged us that, really. Um, we should, no way should we have lost that game. It would have been a travesty if we had. So, a lot of good signs yesterday. Punchin was excellent in the middle. Uh, I think he was our star man. Benteke, some really good signs from him. Some good touches. C- clearly not match fit for a whole 90 minutes but it did play the whole game uh, which is obviously good to get under his belt as I say Mandanda is is a real is a real impressive and I think um, I, I understand that there were quite quite a number of clubs interested in bringing Mandanda uh, to bigger clubs than Palace across Europe so so that's a real real coup for us but Scott Dan fantastic um, you know went up front Scored with a header really good header great ball in from Punchin fully deserved and the only thing that I'm a bit disappointed with it is that we haven't seen Scott Dan named in the English squad today, tonight I feel so sorry for the guy because he's been outstanding for us since he's been at the club I understand in the build up to the Euros he was never getting going to get into that squad with the way Palace were playing but he started the season very well um, even the first half of last season I don't understand how he didn't get a shout but um, excellent centre back he's been made captain for this season which shows exactly what it means to the club um, and he's leading by examples he showed yesterday yeah, you mentioned Mandanda. I, I think that obviously is a is a very good signing. We already mentioned some of the other big guys. Do you think you'll be really doing anything else this window? Yeah, well, it's a big rumor that we're going to get uh, Lloyd Remy on loan uh, from Chelsea for for a season season long loan, which will be um, so we need somebody else up front. We can't just have Wickham and uh, Benteke. Wickham's injury prone, as we know. Um, I'm not sure. I, 
I don't I can't see them two playing together as a front pair. Um so we needed somebody else and I believe um he's one player that's gonna come in. I do know that he's looking for another defensive midfielder and a right back and a number ten. Uh, which I think we're looking at a number 10 from Brazil, highly rated youngster. I can't remember which club it was for, but um, there's been a few comments about uh, a player over there and, and our owner is over in uh, New York at the moment. So whether whether we're adding two and two together to get six, I don't know. But um, I think we're going to see a couple more bodies across the line before, uh, before the close of play on Wednesday. Fair enough. All right, uh, coming to you now, Peter. Uh, very good weekend for you, although it might not have felt it uh, as the match against United drew to a close, but I thought it was a very good performance, and I think the neutrals really saw the stuff that, that your squad is made of at the moment, low on bodies that are available, and the performances have been pretty inspiring. I know I and, and many others have now pretty much ruled you out of the relegation fight, which might be a bit early, but very positive signs from you, and... In the match program, we find out that the alums are indeed selling the club. What are your thoughts on all that? Uh, yeah, first of all, um, thanks for the kind words. And I think that's a pretty good summary of the game and how I saw it. Uh, if I can rewind a little bit, really, just to say that, obviously, in terms of signings, we've nothing to report so far. So it'd be a, a pretty short segment if I talked about signings. But obviously, I'll move on to talk about people we've been linked with. Uh, in due course. But uh, given that we, we still only have round about 12, 13 players to choose from, 14 maybe, uh, it was particularly enjoyable to have a 3-1 win at Exeter in, in the Cup in midweek because I think even on your Premier League side, it's it's good to win and that made it three out of three for Mike Seelan and it was only Exeter as people say, but you know, um, a win is a win, I always think. And uh, one of our forwards, Adama Diamandi, got a couple more goals. Uh, and that was also very positive coming into the game. So just reflecting a little bit on the wins over Leicester and Swansea, two very good wins for us, played pretty well. And certainly fair to say that the momentum from winning at Wembley back in May, I think, has stayed with the side. The side is... is playing as a team, they're playing for each other despite the departure of the manager, Steve Bruce. And whatever his future in terms of whether he gets the job or not, Mike Seelan, I think, has put himself on the football map and shown that you know he has potential perhaps to make the step up from assistant manager to manager, which, as we know, is quite a difficult one to make sometimes. There have been some great backroom guys in the past who never really made it up to the top level as a manager, but were very, very good assistant coaches. So, yeah, we came into the game against Manchester United on a high. Um, Leicester, I think, were slightly undercooked when we played them, but we matched them very well and played well. Uh, Swansea away, I think tactically we got it absolutely right against Swansea and sort of absorbed the pressure and grew into the game. And it was in many ways a classic defensive performance away from home. So there we there we were yesterday, coming into the game, uh, sitting rosily in the top five of the Premier League, uh, and the fans on a real high. Now, I'll finish with talking about the the ownership issues, and that may move into the sort of the second the second part of, of our discussion tonight. But the game on Saturday, I was delighted with. Obviously, not the result. But I think the important thing was 
that we showed the same resolve and teamwork and, and work rate that we'd shown in the first three games, uh, the first two Premier League games in particular. Snodgrass, if he stays fit this season, I think will be a, a key player for us. I think he's playing extremely well. And Curtis Davis at the back, considering who he was playing up against, had a tremendous game. And uh, I was delighted to see that. Manchester United are, this season, a much better side, I think, and played well against us. They have some star names. Mourinho has got them playing very well. And that made it particularly pleasing that we, we did play so well and, and matched them, I think, particularly in the first half. And it was the departure of Snodgrass, I think, that was was a changing point in the game in that perhaps after that we weren't quite so likely to score goals. But I was always hopeful that we would get a chance to win the game and we got a half chance to David Myler uh, not long before Manchester United scored late in the game that might have won it for us. But it was the defensive organisation, the discipline, the work rate. I mean, many Manchester United players had reasonable, adequate games without actually looking spectacular. And for much of the game, they played very neat football, had lots of good possession and dominated us territorially, but didn't create loads of loads, loads of loads of incisive chances and really work our keeper. So on the day that it was where the rain's pouring down and, you know, you get this dreadful feeling, oh, we're going to be, there's going to be a sucker punch. And it came and we lost our discipline a little bit. But I was pleased to hear your comments, Kevin, because I think probably, you know, uh, a couple of wins we've had and people will be saying, oh, whole city, you know, it's a bit of a fluke early season. You always get some strange results. And I would buy that to a point. But I think in many ways, the performance yesterday was as impressive as the previous two, because we played Manchester United at a time when they are really up for it. You know, they have a 100% record. We were probably the first side this season to to make them look ordinary at times in terms of their ability to break up sides. And I was really pleased with all the players who were involved. Uh, I mentioned Curtis Davis. I'd also mentioned a young lad called Sam Klukas, who came to us from Chesterfield and whose roots are in non-league football. We know, you know, it's always nice to see someone like that rise to the top. And he's the classic example of a player who is getting better by the game. Um, up front, Hernandez and Diamandi are always likely to get a goal. Uh, we will see whether they are quite good enough to score 15, 20 goals in the Premier League. And the goalkeeper, Elvin Jakupovic, made two or three excellent saves again. And it's a little strange that at a time when we have 14 professionals on the books, <laughs> that we're, the only real signing we appear to be moving towards is a goalkeeper. Uh, and we could end up having 15 players and four goalkeepers. <laughs> but that may be a reflection. That may be a reflection of the fact that Alan McGregor, uh, a fellow Scottish international, is out injured at the moment. And it may be that his injury is more serious than we've anticipated, and it could be a long-term. That's 
the word going around the club at the moment. Uh, happened to see him at a local supermarket recently, and he was walking very, very gingerly. So the purchase of Marshall from Cardiff City, and he's due to have a medical tomorrow, is on the face of it a slightly strange buy, given sort of the, the overall makeup of the squad. But that may be something to do with a longer term injury uh, to McGregor. Yeah. Uh, looking at potential signings, I mean, Ryan Mason of Spurs is still getting a lot of mention. Uh, and various wonder kids from around Europe. Uh, and the most recent uh, confirmed rumour, if you like, is that we're going to possibly put in a, a club record bid for a, a guy at Bristol City whose name I can't remember. I don't know if anyone knows hmm. the player, but he's a well-regarded uh, forward playing for Bristol City at the moment who I think was less left out of the squad at the weekend. But we're in a situation where, basically, we've got a change of ownership coming along. We're going to be bought out by new Chinese owners. That's going through due diligence and being looked at the Premier League by the Premier League at the moment. And it will probably take a fortnight for the takeover to actually take place. So I think some fairly involved financial arrangements have to be put in place in order to allow us to purchase players within the transfer window, uh, whilst at the same time doing that in anticipation of a change of ownership. Now, that would be difficult at the best of times, but our dear friends and current owners, the Alams, have been full of mischief the last two or three years and have done everything within their power to wind up the fans um, and indeed some of the play staff. Uh, and uh, there's still an element of suspicion and a lack of trust around everything that's happened at the club. Mm. So if and when the club is sold officially and everything is signed and goes through and we, have, we can say categorically we have new owners, there will be this sigh of relief that sends a tsunami down the Humber estuary because the Alans have been desperately bad news for us, particularly in the last year. And they've been mm. perilously difficult owners ever since their name change request was booted out by the FA two or three years ago. Yeah, and we'll get so to the alarms. The, yeah, we'll get to the alarms a little bit there. Yeah, the I, I won't say much on that because I know we've got another, another part of the show later which, where I'll talk about that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We played Liverpool, first match of the weekend. Did not uh, necessarily 
uh, go our way in terms of performance, but think we were very fortunate to end up uh, leaving that match with a point. Uh, I think we were outplayed for the most part. And I, I love statistics. Many people know this about me. Uh, but the stats weirdly not very accurate in this one. Stats mostly saying that this was an even match. And it, it felt like Liverpool were pretty much the better team uh, pretty much from the 10th minute on. Um, the Walker injury that we sustained very early on, which some are saying was an illness. Some are saying it was an actual injury. We're not really sure yet. Um, changed things a lot. We took Eric Dyer, who was playing in defensive midfield, moved him to right back. We moved Della Ali, who was playing on the left wing, to central midfield. And then we brought on Vincent Janssen to push Harry Kane back to where Erickson was and Erickson out wide to where Ali was. You don't usually want to do that in the first 20 minutes of a match. Completely overhaul the positions of four or five players. Um, so considering all of that, absolutely we'll take a draw. Um, Kane, Ali, and Erickson all are still not up to snuff, but as I just mentioned, all of them were playing out of position, kind of again, um, which is an issue when we have Jansen on, who I do rate very highly. He has not yet put a ball in the net, but I think his, his performances have been very good. Um, but how we manage to fit all of them on at the pitch is going to be very important uh, towards our successes this season. The bright side is that we've gotten five points out of our th- first three matches, despite playing about 60 minutes of good football this year. Uh, obviously, you'd like that number to be a lot higher, but the we, we could have really been struggling in the table thus far, um, and we are not, which is definitely of benefit. I mentioned Jansen there. Wanyama already really looks the part. Uh, Nkudu is allegedly on his way for about the fifth consecutive week, um, but we will know by Wednesday, fortunately, when the window closes, so we'll know by then. Um, but yeah, we, we should be just about fine as far as players go. Uh, Nasser Chadley has just agreed to join West Bromwich Albion. Um, that should be done on Monday or Tuesday. I, I always liked Chadley. It is clear that he was kind of slipping down the pecking order. Something that we needed from him last year was to be able to be a, a supplement for Kane up top if, if we ever needed to rotate. Wasn't really able to do that. His performance is on the wing dipped. Um, he, he, he can be a very creative player. He, can, he has a terrific finish on him. Um, I, for, for people that are uh, familiar with American football, I like to describe Chadley as a tight end, where he's too fast for center backs and he's too big for, for uh, wing backs. Uh, so he's a, he's a matchup nightmare. There were effort issues, which is a, a big problem uh, for Mauricio Pochettino and is not a small problem for Tony Pulis. Um, but obviously he would walk into that side and would be a very much-needed threat uh, for them, for those people that had to suffer through their match against Middlesbrough this morning, um, them having more attacking players is desperately needed. So uh, a little sad that Chadley's gone. Um, as you said, Mason might be on his way to Hull. It sounds like he's also negotiating with Sunderland. So that'll be interesting. And, and these are players that a lot of fans grew fond of. Jay, this is a, a sentiment you'll understand, of players being let go that, that the fans like but maybe aren't in the best interest of the team anymore. Um mm where, you know, Chadley isn't starting for us, but he scored 10 goals two years ago, so a lot of people have an affinity for him. Then you have Ryan Mason, who came up through the academy. He surpassed Tommy Carroll, who was supposed to be our best prospect for about five years, never really developed the way we wanted. Then Mason came bursting onto the scene. Um, Tommy Carroll suffering a little bit of what I call McEachran syndrome, who was at Chelsea and went on loan for probably about a decade and never <laughs> never really put it together. Um but anyway, but Mason is, uh, um, Peter, kind of like Livermore for us, where he was yeah. in our system. We grew him for a while. 
He isn't at our level, but he's at a Premier League level or thereabouts. So deserves a move. He does. And he deserves to get minutes and he'll do fairly well at a smaller club. It's just, you know, is he better than Dembele or Dyer or Wanyama or Ali? No. Um, but And we're getting decent returns from them. I, I think we got eight for Livermore back back in the day. That's about yep. what we're hearing for Mason. Uh, looks like it's going to be 13 for Chadley, which is about double our investment. I think we got him for seven uh, when we got him from the Eredivisie. So um, a lot of people c- concerned about this, not just because it's players that have mattered for us before, but because we're thinning the herd right before the season starts. I think the Champions League draw helps us. We'll, I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, but yeah, it is a little sad to see them go. Um, but I, I wrote an article actually for Jay site, the Eagles Beak, uh, I think it was last year, maybe, uh, about the loyalty of professionals, where mm, yeah, loyal, sure. yeah, where yeah, yeah, loyalty only exists if the player is at the same level of your club. Because if they're mm. above it, the player wants to leave, and if they're below it, the club wants to move you on. And How so we're just Mason? at that point. Hmm. How old is Mason? Uh, Twenty-five, maybe. Yeah, so he's at the age where he needs regular football, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, he might be a little younger than that. I might be uh, over-aging him there. Just because it was kind of a surprise when he came through. Because, um, you know, he wasn't like one of the like really talented kids you hear about in the academy. It was just all of a sudden he was playing every week. And I remember he got his debut against Arsenal. And we were just like, what? How can you do that? You know, you guys know. One of those classic uh, lineup meltdowns you get on Twitter right before, right before uh, any match. Um but about uh, going on to the Champions League, um, we're in that, which is very exciting. Um, Jim weirdly didn't address their draw, which was very kind, by the way. Um, but uh, for us, uh, it was very pleasing. It, it was on Thursday, and I was very nervous going in. Then after the first two rounds, I, I made sure to take notes of this. The groups we could have gotten uh, would have been with uh, Juventus and Sevilla, Madrid and Dortmund, or Seska and Leverkusen. So we were pretty much hoping we would get the last of that group. And then through what I can only assume was divine intervention, we did draw that group, Group E as it is. Um, and it, it was the easiest group that we could have been drawn into at that point. Um, there, I forget what the other group was. There was one that I wanted, but uh, apparently... Three of the English sides can't be on the same side of the draw, which was a rule that I somehow missed while they were quickly trying to explain it while uh, the host was trying to take selfies with footballers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, Group E then uh, ended up rounding out with Monaco, who were one of, if not the toughest group in Pot 4. And us drawing them I thought was really interesting because there was a direct difference between American Spurs fans and British Spurs fans when we drew Monaco. Because all the American fans were bemoaning our fate. Oh, we should have gotten an easier side like Ludogorets uh, or Legia Warsaw. And we were like, oh, man, we just got an easier team. And all the UK-based Spurs fans were like, finally, a decent away day. <laughs> and I just thought that was a really interesting uh, dichotomy there. Um, and because we got Monaco in there as well as Seska and Leverkusen, um, it is a very good draw for us. There are no easy matches, but there are no exceedingly difficult matches for us. If we play at our best, we should top this group. The funniest comment, and I'll, I'll end this Champions League conversation with this, the funniest comment I saw was uh, Tottenham. Even when they're in the Champions League, they're in the Europa League. <laughs> because all of those teams we played in the Europa League. Oh, and a really surprising stat that's also worrying. We've never lost to any of the teams that we drew in the Champions League. 
So I'm knocking on all the wood there. Um, but it is an interesting set nonetheless. I can't believe you said that, Kev. I know. I, what am I thinking? I'm a madman. Because that's being recorded and it's going to be played back to you in a few months' time. Oh, absolutely. But that, you know what? That means our <laughs> listens are up. People are quoting me back to me. You know, <laughs> no such thing as bad press. Uh, now we will head in uh, to the topic briefly Uh, those intros took a long time and part of that is because I didn't get to speak last week Uh, so I I was chock full of stuff that I needed to get off my chest but um, we alluded to it a little bit with Peter there which is ownership structure Hull are set to have new owners so I just thought we'd ask the group are you content with your current owners and do you think there might be a change in that position anytime soon Peter it just seems right that we lead off with you yeah, I'll keep it reasonably brief. But uh, just to say, really, when our current owners arrived uh, three or four years ago, everyone was deliriously happy because they had money and they seemed an ideal fit with an ambitious, what was then, championship club that was trying to get back to the Premier League. Uh, they are from Egypt, but have basically been in East Yorkshire for best part of 30 years plus and run a marine turbines business. So on arrival, they were extremely popular. But what we've seen through these three or four years is that as long as those owners are kept happy and they get their way, then everything is rosy. But a lot of them, and certainly our owners, the Alams, come from a my way or the highway environment and are used to get in their own way. And when... Mr. Alam Sr. allegedly fell out with Hull City Council and wasn't able to negotiate the purchase of the ground. Uh, This spurred him into wanting to change the name of our football club from Hull City AFC to Hull Tigers. This was rejected eventually uh, by the FA following a campaign uh, led by a group called City Till We Die. I was one of the founders of that. I'm very proud to, be, to do so. Um, and it seemed like a great victory at the time. And I should add that many other clubs around the country, I know Palace in particular, gave us a lot of support on that. But yeah. it seemed like a huge victory, and that was the end of it, and we'd won. But far from it. And I don't think our owners have ever been the same since they were snubbed by the FA and told they couldn't change the name of our club. Uh, And that has had serious repercussions off the pitch. Ironically, over the last two or three years, we've had a lot of success. Uh, Return to the Premier League just now, of course, we had a a dalliance with European football and the Europa League. We reached an FA Cup final where we put up a very credible, credible performance against Arsenal. But alongside that, we've had an absolutely dreadful PR from the club, the total breakdown in supporter consultation, uh, some absolutely ridiculous mischief behind behind the scenes, and most recently, the only football club, or indeed sporting club, I believe, in Europe, who has a membership scheme where concessions for pensioners and youngsters are withdrawn and there are no concessions for them. It's almost as if after the FA snub, the owners were most so upset and their pride was hurt so much. Instead of leaving immediately as they promised to do, they just wanted to create as much mess and mayhem before they departed. 
and get as much publicity as possible before they left. The reason they stayed on is that they said they wanted to find a suitable and good owner. Uh, I'm not so sure whether they meant suitable and good for the people of Hull and their supporters or suitable and good for them. And we're still a little bit concerned that when the takeover occurs, whether or not they will, there will be a sting in the tail from them uh, when they move on. They've already dumped BBC local radio from their rights to broadcast the games, and we think there may be other stings in the tail that will cause uh, a legacy of a further legacy of sort of hate and resentment against them. So it's a real shame because they arrived and they could have been heroes, but following the FA decision, they made they did everything to make themselves unpopular and really have tipped over into. Irre- gross irresponsibility as owners mm. of football clubs. So finally, my point is, my summary is, money is fantastic, rich owners fantastic, but regardless of where they come from, they are possibly slightly dangerous sets of people to have at the helm of something as big as a football club. We all know that, but what I've seen at Hull City over the last three years has proved that. It isn't all glory if you suddenly have loads of money to spend, it's not as simple as that. Yeah, I can empathise a lot, uh, lot there. What Peter said, and, and and we fully supported the campaign that the whole city fans are on to to stop the club chat or clubs owners even changing their name. And um, we're proud to be to have been a part of that actually, and obviously it's success in the end because the FA turned it down, which which was just an absolutely ludicrous um, decision to. Um, to to try and make by the owners really, and there are owners out there. It's not just whole city that have owners which um, are causing a problem. We played Blackpool in a week on Tuesday uh, at Palace in in the League Cup, and I was chatting to a, a fan group. Well, it, it turns out to be a protest group uh, for Blackpool in protest at their um, their their current owners who are very much running the club in a way which is seeing them. Well, they were in the Premier League not so long ago. Uh, I think it was four years ago. Uh, and now they find themselves in League Two. Club's been stripped completely. The fans aren't going. I mean, I think I counted less than 50 fans um, at Palace. Um, in contrast, we pay £15 to get into the game uh, as Palace fans. Blackpool fans pay 25 because £10 that went to the Blackpool owners. <laughs> I mean, it's just ludicrous. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, and then you've got uh, there's Black, Blackburn are suffering with their owners as well, who who don't seem to have much of an interest in 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 the goings on of the club. Um, so there are owners out there. In, in terms of Palace, I think we've been quite lucky. I say lucky, we've been in that administration twice, um, but that was more owners being a little bit foolish in terms of um, you know those two owners that took us into administration were both fans of the club trying to do the right thing. The first one, Mark Goldberg, um, he bought the club um, at a point where he just wanted to throw money at it, gave Terry Venables the job, which he, he obviously managed the team in the 80s, looking back into history and wanted to kind of try and emulate some sort of success and that went badly wrong. Second time, Simon Jordan. Um, it, it's very peculiar, this one, because the last time I went into administration, again, Simon Jordan was a businessman Palace fan as well, trying to do hit the best for the club, and um, a, a bit of a, a loan deal went wrong, and it, and we were taken to court over a smaller loan than a lot of a lot of clubs run at these days, um, to be quite honest, and we were less than twenty four hours from going out of business, and the actual feeling of that 
Um, you know, people saying to me, well, you can go support another club. And that, it, it's, no, you, you can't say that somebody whose club is just about to go out of business. Um, that was six years ago. Um, our, we had a consortium that bought the club, four owners, um, headed by Steve Parrish, four fans again. And you kind of think, yeah, we've heard this story before. We've been here, done this, Palace fans, a little bit different to what we just mentioned about Hull and Blackburn and Blackpool. But the, you know, these four owners are successful businessmen in their own right. The good thing is that they all had an equal share. They all had um, a say in the running and the decisions and things like that, which I think it's not just one person. I think it's perhaps better to have more than one person making decisions. Um, and it worked out fantastically. Um, that has since changed. Um, the start of this year, we had two Americans bought into the club. Um, so Steve Parrish is now the chairman and um, the other three owners of the original consortium that took us on have taken a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a step back in terms of their active role. But we have the two Americans that came in and I think pumped about 100 million into the club, uh, which has allowed us to do a few things that perhaps we couldn't have done um, until a few years' time. But we're now in our fourth successive season in the Premier League. And I think, you know, we've gone from strength to strength. I mean, I, I will end by just saying that the consortium bought Palace for four million back in 2010. And we've just spent 30 million on a striker. Uh, that just seems absolutely ludicrous to me. If you'd have said that to me six years ago, then I'd never have, um, <laughs> I'd never have believed. Um, well, A, that would be in the Premier League for you know, four years in a row, let alone paying 30 million for a striker. So in terms of ownership, I think we've been very lucky relatively recently, into, or since our last administration at least, um, that we've gone on from strength to strength with um, you know, a very sensible set of owners. It's a totally different story for me. The guys are kind of having a, obviously, understandably, um, having a, you know, a kind of frank and honest discussion about the pitfalls of, of foreign ownership or indeed ownership of any kind in Palace's case, you know, Jay mentioned in their fans that are pumping money into the club and, you know, football clubs are buying large money pits. You know, you can't, unless you can Bates buying Chelsea for a pound, you really can't make money from football these days. Um, if you're going to own a club, it's just too much of an expensive pursuit, you know, to, to get anything profitable out of, um, unless you're kind of draining a club like Manchester United, who's got this global brand that you can, you can take money out of. Um, but, you know the Leicester owners. We've been extremely lucky. Like Palace, uh, we've been in administration not too distant past. Um, we've had issues with Milan Mandaric and stuff and owners when when he was in charge. Obviously, the guys owned several football clubs. Um, clearly knows what he's doing in, in in England. But you know those football clubs aren't necessarily um, all flying high at the moment. If you look at some of the clubs he's owned, Portsmouth and and Sheffield Wednesday, are, you know, are, are very much below where they've their high point was. So there's issues there with him. Um, and you know when he sold the club to the um, the King Power Group, as it were at the time, um, we were you know sceptical. I think everyone was you know when you get this foreign ownership come in because they they literally have no ties to to, to English football, let alone to Leicester. And you know for uh, three three four years on, um, we really can't say enough good things about them. To be honest, I think a lot of fans around the country probably look at Leicester as an example. Um, of, of how a club should be owned, they the, one of the first things they did in the first kind of year and a half was to write off um, 100 million pounds worth of debt um, as a share issue, um, and that basically made the club debt free for the first time in about 15 years, I think. Um, which in modern football is is ridiculous, really, to think that you know a lot of clubs are running huge deficits 
either through overspending um, on infrastructure and stadia or, or wage bills and stuff like that. And obviously there is a lot of TV money going in as well. But you know, as Jay touched on with Palace, just buying a £30 million striker, you know, the, the astronomical costs of doing business are, uh, are eating into that big fund that you're going to get from um, from the Sky and BT deal over here in terms of broadcasting rights. So, yeah, the you know the guys that, that run Leicester are exceptional. I suppose that you know we are very lucky to have them. I think there's a, there's a big appreciation within the fan base that the money that they've put in isn't um, crazy crazy money. You know, there's plenty of owners that have put more money into their clubs, but I think the way they've gone about it is building the club from the, the, the ground up. They made sure the right staff are in place. Um, brought you know Nigel Pearson went and came back again from Hull. They decided he was the person to lead the club um, when we when we went down and to, to lead us back into the into the hopefully into the Premier League. And um, one thing that made me laugh and you know Leicester fans got roundly kind of jeered at for um, a statement that came out um, you know two, less than two seasons ago now or, or two two and a bit seasons should I say in um, in May. 2014 it was um our, our chairman came out and said that he wanted to finish in the top five of the premier league within five years um a statement which was kind of rightly at the time laughed out of the park because it had only just been promoted and we were expected to struggle and for that season we did struggle you know we spent the vast majority of the campaign in the bottom three um very nearly went down stayed up by the, the skin of our teeth the, the 14th place finish doesn't really do it justice quite how much of a get out of jail act we did um under nigel pearson so um, to see that kind of vision come to fruition t- two or three years earlier than planned is is incredible. Um, the, the owners have been very, very good and generous with fans um, in terms of um, incentives and schemes. And, you know, our season ticket prices are, are some of the lowest in the league. They've been frozen for the last two years. I actually got a reduction on my season ticket um, recently as um, season four last as a, a returning customer um, as opposed to a new one. Um, so my season ticket actually went down the the year we stayed up in the Premier League um, compared to the year we we won the league, which is incredible. Um, and you know they are just very good with their um, their PR. They're very open and honest with with fans um, and you know the generosity to to away support in stark contrast to Hulls, which I think is one of the big issues with with their supporter base. I know that you know there's qualms there, quite rightly so, over the lack of provision for travelling fans. Um, you know the, the, the Premier League asked every um, every club to, to ring fence. I think it's half a quarter of a million pounds. It might be others half a million. Um, one of the two to, to, to kind of subsidise some kind of away supporter act. For example, you can get a, a coach um, from Leicester to any away game for ten pounds return, no matter where you're going in the country, whether it's just up the the motorway um, or, or to the other side of the country. Um, that's subsidised by the club as part of that ring fence fund, um, which allows you know. Considering th- this came in at a time where season tickets were, uh, sorry, away tickets weren't capped at thirty pounds like they are now, uh, which is still a lot. You know, that's that's still a lot for for a game of football, um, especially on top of your season ticket, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in times where you know we've paid upwards of forty, fifty pounds for a ticket, it's nice to know that your travel's kind of covered off partly by the club, and that kind of puts a, a cap on the day to make sure it's not too expensive to price fans out of following their team. Um, so yeah. It's a bit of a change of tone, I guess, to the other two guys who've, who've got issues with the various ownerships, past and present. But yeah, we're very, very lucky, and I think you know, I hope most of Leicester fans, and I know most of them do, appreciate quite what we've got because I think we're we're the, we're the exception rather than rule, which is a shame because it'd be nice to see um, that those statements reversed and most fans kind of singing their owners' praises rather than picking up on the the qualms of, of how they're 
mistreating their football clubs, which to most people are, you know, one of the most important things about their lives. And it's a real kind of shame to see, you know, footballing institutions almost kind of going to the wall for, for the sake of, you know, money or the greed of a few and to the detriment of the many, really. Yeah, my my, my uh, Tottenham history isn't that long, so I've only ever really known the, the Daniel Levy slash Enoch era. So no, no sugar talk from me. Um, but I do think it's a, a, an incredible feat uh, that Levy and Enoch have kept us where we are for so long. I know Levy gets a lot of stick, uh, both from Tottenham fans ourselves and from the media, about being very um, stringent with his money, especially when we're dealing with transfers. Like the Nkudu deal, we tried to renegotiate many times. I think Jay was on a uh, point earlier talking about the Zaha deal. I think we that was a mutually beneficial thing for both Levy and for Zaha's representatives. They wanted to get a bigger contract. We wanted the uh, French club to think that we had other options other than just Nkudu. So it drops his price, makes Zaha get a better contract. And we've done things like that before. Jay in our uh, WhatsApp group for the Eagles speak, uh, I was talking about what we did uh, for Burnley with um, Danny Ings slash Kieran Trippier. Mm. We offered $10 million for Danny Ings. When his tribunal was supposed to be five, but that raised to Liverpool, which I think had to end up paying eight. And in return, they sold us Trippier for just two million pounds, which was an absolute <laughs> snip. So, like, we're, we're all about these weird, shady deals. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. And, and so a lot of fans get frustrated by that. We won't just go out and spend the money. And then the one year when we did just go out and spend the money, which was the bail money, it did not go very well. Uh, and we, we, we misspent a lot of that. We are finally getting a return on Eric Lamella. Erickson has had his ups and downs, but for around $12 million, which is where we got him, that, that was an absolute steal. But for the most part, the rest of them suffered, and now we're about to see Chadley out the door, which means it really is just Erickson and, and Lamella left from that summer. Um, and I think that that was a, uh, I don't know if it was a detriment, but it definitely made Levy reevaluate because it seemed like he was finally willing to spend the money, and then it went so poorly that now we've kind of reined it back in. And, and I've seen comments as recently as today where players, uh, people are saying, well, why won't we just go out and spend $30 million? And, and that's why Paul Mitchell is leaving, is head of player acquisition for us, is because he personally vouched for Michi Batshuayi and was pushing that deal. And we offered in the mid-20s, and Chelsea offered in the mid-30s, so we went to Chelsea. And first of all, I don't know what Paul Mitchell thought he was getting into when he started working at Tottenham, but if he expected us to just randomly pay $30 million for players, he signed up at the wrong club. Um, and Jim, it sounds like that might be, uh, your, your burden to bear next as it sounds like he's flirting with you guys a fair bit, but, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we uh, are, we are about to pay 30 million for a player. So maybe he wants to come and work for us instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, uh, Slimani. Yeah. That'll, yeah. that'll be interesting. Um, but that's not our style. And I love Michi Betsuai as a player. I am very frustrated that he ended up at Chelsea but if you had asked me if I'd rather have Batshuayi for 33 or Jansen for 17, it's a pretty easy decision, um, and it's not the more expensive one. So, yes, we have not went out and bought the big player. A large part of that is wages. We've only ever paid two players, and I realize this is not the show to be talking about this on. <laughs> but we have only ever had players break our wage budget twice, and it was Gareth Bale and Emmanuel Adebayor which was a subsidized deal from Manchester City. Those are the only two players at our club to have ever earned more than 100000 a week, which is why I said it's laughable on this show. But um, we, we've, we've stuck to our guns financially. We've run a very tight ship. 
And part of that, and part of all those surpluses, we're the only club in the last five years to have a budget surplus when it comes to player transfers, is that now we're able to fund our stadium. Because not all clubs can just get the taxpayers to pay for theirs. Cough. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be able to build our own stadium. So all the fans that are constantly complaining that Levy doesn't do enough, you know, look out that now open corner of White Hart Lane where you can see the future, literally, in dirt. And in steel, the, the upcoming future of this club, which is the new stadium, that's where the money's been going. How many clubs bigger than us have risen and fallen in the time that we've been in the Premier League or in the time that we've been in the top 10? We've only been out of the top 10 once in the last decade, and that year we won the League Cup. Like, this is a very, very stable situation we're in. And I don't want people to start thinking of stability as boredom, because it isn't. And we often make fun of Arsenal and Liverpool fans for their self-righteous, we deserve to be winning the title, that kind of stuff. Our self-righteous version is we deserve to be in the Champions League. We finally got there. But if you take the ego away from it, our club is currently in a very healthy state, both financially and in terms of confidence in the club from the fans. The players all love playing there. You hear it week on, week out from all the players, that it's a brotherhood at the club. There is a small hiccup with the Paul Mitchell thing, wondering how that sorts out between uh, Levy and Pochettino. But all in all, I think Levy and Enoch have done a very good job for us. As to will there be a change, I'm pretty sure there will be. The whole point of owning us for a long time was building us up, getting a stadium built, then selling out on top. And I think that will still happen, especially with the NFL signing on to help us build our stadium in, in order to be able to play NFL games there so they don't have to worry about Wembley's schedule like last year where they couldn't play there because I honestly forget. <laughs> but there was some reason the NFL wanted to do four games at Wembley last year and only did three because Wembley could only have a certain amount of events each year, which is now laughable because it's going to be our Champions League stadium and next year it's going to be our Premier League stadium. Um, but all in all, very pleased with what Levy and Enoch have done. Is it frustrating that we won't just go out and buy some huge name? Sure, but we're doing it very healthily. That lack of signing big players is what has allowed so many of our good young players to come through. So all in all, very pleased with what we're doing, and long may it continue. All right, we were going to talk about players we might sign and player watch. We've kind of already done that, so we're just going to stick to the typical recent matches, which players which impressed. If you weren't disappointed in anybody, in anybody on your team, tell us somebody that did impress you. From the other side, we'll start out with Jim and Lester. Um, it's quite difficult to criticise um, after kind of such a dominant performance, although the scoreline doesn't necessarily uh, reflect that. But Riyad Mahrez, um, probably the player that disappointed the most in terms of, I think he's still missing something from last season. Um He's not looking quite as sharp. I don't know whether it's his, you know, his personal life, which I think a lot of people forget about um, in terms of footballers and their form and what can affect that. But he's not. Um, he's looking quite, you know, kind of firing at sixty percent. I'd say. Um, and when last year he was consistently putting in kind of ninety percent plus performances, um, and I think it's so frustrating to know. Um, that he's not quite his best because we know on his day he's so capable of you know winning games single-handedly for us, which he did on numerous occasions last season. Um, and you know, you know, talking about the Champions League, um, although our group is you know somewhat kind in quote quote unquote, 
um, we're going to need him to be at his very best, you know, to, to compete with the likes of Copenhagen and Bruges, and particularly Porto, you know, who have that European pedigree. They're not inexperienced in that arena. They've won it, you know, fairly recently. Um, so he's going to need to be at his very, very best um, when when those games get going. And that's only two and a half weeks away. And you think, well, you know, what's going to change in the meantime? But hopefully he gets his head together. He signed a new contract, but he's still not kind of showing the glimpses of the, the brilliance that we've seen um, over the last kind of two years since signing him. So of all the players, you know, it's difficult. But I think he's the one that maybe didn't do himself justice against, uh, against Swansea. Um, player that impressed the most... Daniel Amati for me actually um, came in in place of uh, in place of Napoli's Mende, who is injured for a couple more weeks um, by all accounts due to the issue he picked up against Arsenal, um, and he had to come off for. I think he kind of twisted um, his knee and his ankle in the turf. So when he'll be back, I, I don't know if there's an accurate um, thing, uh, an accurate timeline on that yet. But um, Amati kind of stepped into the breach in central midfield with. Um, with Danny Drinkwater and was outstanding. The guy really looked like a much bigger version of Angolo Kante, um, which is you know high praise indeed, considering how well he's kind of slotted into Chelsea and is basically running the show now for them in central midfield. Um, interceptions, um, accurate passing, and you know a real strength and drive on the ball, and I think that allows Danny Drinkwater the freedom to go and do what he's best at, which is you know assists and long range passes and kind of creating moves. And Amati was that perfect destroyer role, kind of picking the ball up um, 40 yards from his own goal, turning, making it either a simple ball to someone in space or to start and move himself and drive him forward. Um, and, you know, I've seen on a lot of the highlights, haven't kind of showed the stuff that he did because it wasn't necessarily highlight reel, but it was just play in, play out. He was absolutely superb. And, you know, it's a really encouraging sign for us that um, he was he played there because I think he struggled to produce his best form for us so far. Uh, because of the fact that he's so versatile, he's a victim of his own versatility in a sense that Ranieri said afterwards on the, on the radio, I was listening to um, his interview and he said, yeah, he can play right back, centre back, right midfield or central midfield. Uh, and unfortunately, when you get a player that's that versatile, um, he's more often than not covering for a position which isn't his best, which is central midfield. Um, and he was just, yeah, he was just sublime. So I, I have, as much as Danny Drinkwater is going to get the plaudits, you know, Jamie Vardy looked brilliant. Amati was man of the match by a country mile for me and you know hopefully that just means we're going to have even more competition in central midfield so when Mendy does come back we've got that that depth in the squad that we're going to need when we start competing on multiple fronts with the domestic cups and and Europe as well. Hmm. All right and Jay who impressed and disappointed for you? Well I'll start with disappointed. Um, Connor Wickham I so want him to do well for Palace I really do and he showed glimpses last season but he was in and out for injury I think he had three spells that injured and one out suspended so that's a lot of games to miss but when he did play he he showed us what he could do he scored goals when he played towards the end of the season um, he came back and scored two goals against his former club Sunderland as well. Um, he started as, we started as a 4-4-2 formation which I can't remember the last time we played a 4-4-2 formation and him alongside Ben Teke, which clearly didn't work and then uh, through no fault of his own Pardew chose to put him out wide and changed to just the one up front so he's not a wide man he can't play the wide role he's not that kind of player at all so you can't 
entirely put the blame on him for uh, for not particularly performing. But um, he's a player that I I I, I want. I don't know why. I just I just like the way he is, the way he plays, or when he is playing to form. Um, but hopefully we'll see we'll see more because um, you know he scored against Blackpool in the week when he came on after two minutes of replacing Benteke, and we thought, well, you know, this might be uh, you know just to fire him up a little bit after Benteke joining, which which is always good, healthy competition, and all that. The other one disappointed is Johan Kabaye. I think last season, you know, a lot of Palace fans gave him, you know, gave, gave him a lot of credit because he came to Palace. He, he didn't, he, he wasn't, he didn't give us what we were expecting him to give us, but he was still, he still played well throughout the season. But there's little areas where we thought, actually, we thought he'd be better than that, you know, paying the kind of money we did and, you know, his, his previous, uh, you know, playing at Newcastle and previous time in the Premier League. And obviously, Saturday, yesterday, he missed a penalty, he took a penalty, he missed a penalty. The last penalty he took, he missed as well. Uh, we believe he he took the ball off of Benteke. Benteke wanted to have it. Um, Kabai said, uh, "You know, I'm going to have this one." Pulled rank and um, I missed it. I can't see him taking another one. I think Jim mentioned earlier penalty problem, yeah, penalty taking problem. So um, yeah, he missed an awful one against Newcastle towards the end of last season against his former club. Missed again yesterday, which which would put us in a really good position at a good point in the game. I think it was only five or so minutes after that Bournemouth had actually scored. So kind of a critical point in a game where we could have actually gone on to win if we'd have got the level then. Um, so yeah, they're the two that disappointed me. As for impressed, I've got three players written down here. Um, and I can't pick between them, to be quite honest. Um, Jason Punchin had an excellent game. I think he covered the most ground from any player in the Palace uh, side yesterday. He had the most touches in the opposition, air, uh, opposition half um, throughout the game. And he also provided that critical assist for Scott Dan and and if you see if you see the goal it's a really nice move by Palace but Punchin kind of turned on a sixpence to get that cross in from almost sense in kind of a central position in, in midfield and Scott Dan has still had a lot of work to do to to get enough on it to head it over Boric but um excellent play by Punchin yesterday um, really good um Scott Dan is the other one I would mention because just just he's got the captain's armband this season and he's he's just continued where he left off last season, but with the added respons- responsibility, he, that's what you want. Yesterday was what you want from a captain to kind of you know get the lads together, and you know if you need to do if you need to do a job and try and get that goal, then he was there and he did that for us, which you know which is fantastic. The other one I've already mentioned him already, Mandanda, Steve Mandanda. We had a big problem with the goalkeeper position last season. Tried two keepers, never Sproni never got a look in last season, unfortunately, but it's been. McCarthy and Hennessy, and they both made mistakes throughout throughout last season. McCarthy's now gone to Southampton as their number two. Um, Hennessy, I would say thankfully, but that's not nice. Um, Hennessy um, was injured um, yesterday, so he couldn't play, um, and that gave a lot of Palace fans um, to make us joyous. But we just needed somebody. We wanted to see Mandanda and what he could do, and he he gave, he showed us what he could do. What we thought he he would be like. He came from Marseille with uh, you know a lot of Marseille fans said a lot about him. Disappointed with the you know the, with the fee that we paid for him. Um, and to me, from what I've seen already, it's it's an absolute steal. As I mentioned, he's he's just a big presence at the back. You know, he organises back line, even though he doesn't speak much English at the moment. We believe, um, and just comfortable with the ball. Uses both feet for a keeper and. I mean, I think the save that he made came out. It was one-on-one. Uh, Callum Wilson yesterday was through on goal. And he was so quick off his line. Um, and he was there before Callum Wilson could actually think about what he was going to do with the ball, which which was actually fantastic. So really looking forward to more from him. Um, so, yeah, Mandanda, I think he's going to be a good signing for us. All right, and Peter, we already talked about the, the great team performance you had, but were there any individuals that stuck out for you? 
Yeah, first of all, just to sort of reiterate that, you know, there's the old cliche in football, isn't there, about playing for the shirt. And certainly all our squad at the moment are playing for the shirt. I wouldn't like to draw on any individual that had a poor game yesterday because I don't think there was any one. OK, maybe Hernandez, Diamandi up front uh, didn't have spectacular games, but they worked hard and they didn't get that much service. Uh, I will just select, uh, and this is rather naughty of me really, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to select one player from the opposition, uh, Fellaini, who is uh, an interesting player to me because when we first played in the Premier League, uh, Fellaini was very impressive playing for Everton. But in his Manchester United role, I realise that he does a lot of dirty, unfashionable, unseen stuff. But uh, I'm not so sure I find him as impressive as perhaps some do. And I'm a little bit surprised that he retained his uh, place in the Manchester United side so readily. Didn't think he was particularly impressive yesterday at all. Uh, And I just want to get that one in there. And I'd be interested in other people's views on that. I just want to uh, big up Curtis Davis which is uh, will be a surprise to you if you know Curtis Davis, and it's a bit of a surprise to me. But I think it's it's a lesson to everybody, and particularly lesser players in the Premier League, that you know stick at it and work hard because it's not long ago that Curtis Davis was struggling to get in our side in the Championship. The arrival of Michael Dawson saw his nose put out a little bit, and he lost form, and he, he was struggling to get in our Championship side. Now, more recently, and at the start of this season, he's been playing really, really well. And I thought he had a wonderful game yesterday. Uh, Some of his blocks were out of this world, his work rate. And reflecting on his career, he probably isn't England class. That will have passed him by now. But had things gone better for him, I don't think he would have been far away. And I would, I would suggest that sometimes when we talk about England players and when England squads are picked, and I know there's been a squad picked tonight, which I haven't had a chance to look at, I think sometimes we need to look at players who consistently apply themselves and show considerable effort alongside and equally to those who have considerable ability. What I'm saying there is, you know, let's not always pick the glamorous players who can be brilliant, who don't show it very much. And maybe let's pick a few more steady performers who really will play for the England shirt. Uh, I struggle to give too many examples, but I think the recent exit of the England football team, I would have liked to, you know, when we lost to Iceland, I would have liked to have seen a bit more blood and guts Uh, and go down fighting than what we saw. And I think in Curtis Davis, you know, he's never going to be a target for probably a top six or top ten Premier League club. But I think he's had a fantastic career. And I'd just like to say that if you're looking for someone who's going to give 100% at the moment, uh, he's one of the best performers in the Premier League. So that would be my my look at the, the sort of player watch. Certainly Curtis Davis... Stan Klukas for us, Robert Snodgrass I've talked about, and uh, I think he could play a big role for her, for us, and indeed for Scotland, who are improving at the moment, hmm. uh, over the next few months. 
All right, and uh, quickly for Tottenham, Michelle Vorm was my man of the match and was indeed the man of the match. They're not going out on too far a limb there. Um, was absolutely immense. Had three or four uh, instances where he flew off his line and cleared dangerous balls. And, and this is the point of having Vorm in here instead of, at this point, like a 50-year-old Brad Friedel, is that we don't have to change our um, tactics at all when we bring him on. Uh, so Vorm has done very well in Larissa's stead. We should have Larissa back after the break, but all due credit to Michelle Vorm. I think one of the upsides of us getting the kind of draw that we did in the Champions League is Vorm might actually be able to get some minutes there. If we had gotten a much tougher draw, I think Larissa would have automatically been handed the reins there. But based on these performances and the fact that uh, we didn't get the most dangerous group in the Champions League, I do think he he may well be in with a shout for for some Champions League minutes. As far as players are disappointed, I already talked about in the open. Um, Kane, Ali, and Erickson. I know they're dealing with some positional shifts, but players of their ability should be able to rise above that, at least in glimpses. And we really haven't even gotten that much out of them. So uh, hopefully they can turn it around for us soon. All right, that'll do it for us today. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. I'm also the gaming content manager for a company called Perform, who own a lot of kind of sports media websites like Goal.com, Soccerway, and we own Opta as well. So if you see any kind of betting-inspired content coming from those, that's normally kind of got something to do with what I'm doing. So if that's of interest to you, then I'd suggest heading over there and um, seeing what, what we're producing. Yeah, thank you for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeat.com, a Palace fan site, but we have lots of football content as well. A weekly piece from Kev. I've probably stolen his thunder here, but a, a fancy preview. Um, and I'm also co-presenter of um, a local community radio show, football show, Back of the Net. You can get us on Twitter at underscore, back of the net underscore, but I'm mostly at the Eagles Beak on Twitter. Yeah, hi, I'm Peter. I'm editor of social media, Hull City Group, Tiger Link. Just want to mention that on Saturday I celebrated 50 years of watching Hull City. Uh, very proud of that. You can get us on HCAFC Tiger Link on both Facebook and Twitter. And we do various blogs and fan TV and lots of local media. Happy to hear from anybody who uh, wants information about Hull City. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroth. Uh, we'd encourage you to listen to all of the EPL Roundtable shows, which now includes the EPL Roundtable, obviously, uh, the Championship Roundtable, and the Fantasy Roundtable. Uh, so be sure to check all of those out. They should be in this, uh, depending on if you're on Acast or on iTunes. You should be able to see them from here regardless. Um, also, I do write a fantasy article for Jay, but probably not one this week as we have the international break, but I suppose we should talk about that. Um, uh, also, Deuces Off over on Playtaga.com. I've been helping Rob out. Uh, on Razball.com doing some of their fantasy ranks. I don't think I have to do any of my fantasy stuff this week, though, so I don't know why I'm rambling. We'll let you guys get out of here. So thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.